Well, happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Great to have you here with us this weekend. So good to see you. And uh, all of you gathered online with us, glad that you're gathered as well as we continue in our series on the parables. A couple of weekends ago, I did a conversation on two of the parables of Jesus' teaching, the lost sheep and the lost coin. This weekend, we're going to continue in that same chapter with the third story in that series, because Jesus told three stories back to back to back, all to correct the problem that people who claimed to be his followers and claimed to love his word, his truth, and the Father had a problem with. They didn't get. This has deep relevance to our lives, whether we're yet to follow Jesus or we have been following him for years. And since it's the third story, this is how Luke 15, 11 begins. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Important part of the story. Because so many people only see this as the story about one son, one problematic messed up, flawed, and broken son, where the other son was a good one and could stand in judgment. But you're going to see it's not at all the truth of this story. This isn't a story about one messed up son. It's the story of two messed up sons on different sides of the equation, but both messed up. So he divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had been given and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So starving was he that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, born my father's son, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, and this shows how little he knew his dad, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, second son. The older son was out in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing and so he called one of the servants and he asked him, 
What's going on? And your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been, what? All these years, I've been living in the pleasure and privilege of your presence. All these years, I've been enjoying the undeserved generosity of your hand to me. All these years, I've had nothing from you but good, and I have gratitude in my heart to spare. All these years, I've learned from your heart, and I want to express your heart. That's not at all what's going on in this thing. He says, all these years, I have slaved for you. How does he really feel about the father? All these years I have slaved for you. Never disobeyed your orders. I've been keeping all your rules. I've been keeping all of your demands. I've been following all of your regulations. While he's going out and having all the fun I want to have, you owe me. That's kind of what's going on here. You just have to get the sense of it. You never gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. Now, come on. He'd been living with his dad. Who'd been serving the meals all these years? Daddy, what have they been eating? Herbs? I'm sorry for your vegans, but no, real people eat meat. Oh, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. If you can't take a joke, then you really are a vegan. Uh, <clears throat> eat some meat, you'll be able to laugh. It's like... Um, a joke. Here are the good news. There are other churches you can go to. I don't know. It's like, whatever. I think I'm off target. I don't think this is how the story went at all, actually, if you think about it. He says, all these years, he goes, he goes, you haven't even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He'd been eating off of his father's generosity his entire life. And by the way, do you remember the phrase I asked you to remember at the beginning of the story? He'd already been given his entire inheritance. It already been divided. He had everything from the father that he didn't deserve in the first place. His problem was he was seeing it through the lens of his dysfunction and not through the lens of truth and reality. The problem was, though he thought he was free, he was in bondage. He felt like a slave. He never really experienced the generosity of the father. He thought he deserved everything. And just so you know, this is where the story really starts hitting the religious leaders of Jesus' day square on. They were sitting in judgment of all the broken and flawed and messed up people, <clears throat> like the younger brother in this story. And they were mad at Jesus for letting them come and sit at his feet and worship God and talk about God, and they were all mad about it. Well, who's mad in this story? The elder brother. This is this is where it goes away from the obvious lost sheep and the obvious lost coin and the obvious lost son. And this is where he says, oh, and all of you people who think you're better than the lost, you're even more lost and you don't know it. And then he's showing his jealousy for this younger brother's partying ways. He said, you haven't given me anything, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, he hadn't seen his brother since his brother left. How did he know he'd been with prostitutes? He didn't. He just knew what he would have done if he had left. 
I'm being very serious here. And he comes home and you've killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Could have said, everything you have is mine. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found. So here we have the story of two lost sons who failed extravagantly. The story of the prodigal, though, isn't just about two failed sons. The story of the prodigal is as much about the father as the sons. In fact, to be honest, it's more about the father than the sons. Why Jesus started his story in Luke 15 11. The Pharisees were all around him, as were the broken and, and now becoming redeemed people. And, and the Pharisees were saying, I know the Father and they don't. And so Jesus starts the story. There was a man who had two sons. It's about the man. In the way Jesus tells the story, the Father stands in contrast to both his sons, both of them. Different sides of the spectrum, but both messed up. Different sides of the spectrum, but both distant from the Father. Different sides of the spectrum, but both longing for something they had right in front of them, the Father, but missing it entirely. It is true that the sons failed with extravagant recklessness. They were both in bondage to different extremes. Neither had freedom. And this is the reason, by the way, that Jesus' story has been commonly referred to as the prodigal. Prodigal, by definition, means wastefully extravagant, reckless in spending. It certainly speaks of the younger son, but it also speaks of the older son, which most people miss. He was extravagant in his waste of the father's love and the waste of his father's goodness, reckless in everything. But did you know this word prodigal doesn't just have to be used in the negative, it can also be used in the positive. Generously extravagant, unsparingly lavish, which perfectly describes the father in this story. So it's the story of two prodigal sons and a prodigal father. The father forgave with extravagant recklessness. The father forgave the unforgivable. He put a robe on a person who didn't deserve a robe. He declared to be a son, a son who deserved to be a servant. He was reckless in this way. He was willing to forgive whatever the consequences, no matter what anyone thought of him, and even if his sons didn't respond properly he was going to forgive extravagantly. Now, the important thing for us to understand about this story is that it's our story. It's not the story of other people out there and a father out there. It's the story of our lives. It's our story. Because in the end, this story, Jesus Developing now the story to address the complexities of all of us, younger brother and elder brother alike, it presents our problem, our common, shared problem. We've all failed God. doesn't matter who you are and how you look. 
Doesn't matter if you relate more to the younger son or the elder son. Doesn't matter if you're super religious or super irreligious, unbelievably pious in your approach or unbelievably blasphemous in your approach. This is your story because we've all failed God. Romans 3.23 says it, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's obvious of the younger brother, but it's absolutely just as true of the elder brother and you and me. All of us are messed up. Now, some of us, like the elder son, are better at hiding it. You corrupt hypocrites, right, you know? I was number three son in a family of four boys, had a younger brother. It's amazing that he survived me. My two older brothers, Messiah one and Messiah two, and then me, Beelzebub. Um, but the truth is all of us were messed up. All of us. They were just better at hiding it. Jerks, you know? Uh, they're my brothers, I can call them that. But do you know the results are the same for the elder brother and the younger brother? Did you know the results are just the same? The outcomes are just the same? And you know what the outcome is, don't you? Distance from the Father. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, spiritual death. You know what it means, separation from God. You want proof? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they kept breathing and living physically, but they died spiritually. And what did that mean? They were thrown out of God's presence, distance from God. When you have distance from God, you lose the source of everything you need and long for in life. Death, distance, separation. Now, by nature, all of us are separated from God. And I'd love to use the words of this story. By nature, all of us are away from home. And I know from experience, I know this from my own personal experience, you can live in your father's house and still be separated and distant from him because that was me. I didn't run off and live with the pigs, but I was as far away from my dad as I could possibly be as I lived under the same roof with him and I didn't experience the joy of knowing him, the beauty of his generosity, and the goodness of all he longed for in my life. I missed it all, but I was right there in the house. In this story, both the younger and older son were distant from their father, and just so you know, this is our story. I don't know who you relate most with, the younger brother or the older brother, but it doesn't matter because both were in the same place. And explains so much about us being distant from the Father, being distant from the Father. It explains why even when life goes well for us, there's still always something missing. You know, the sense that there's something more. The younger brother had it and acted on that by going out of the house. The older brother had it and acted on it by hating his father from inside the house. We do the same thing. It explains our constant longing for more and why no matter how much more we get, we just keep longing. 
Jesus makes it clear in the story that we're longing for what we lost way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve walked away from God. We're longing not for a place or a possession or a person or some new pleasure. We know that because these won't satisfy our longing. We know that because they never have. How many places have you been that you thought would finally satisfy you and are you? No, because once you've been to a new place, now you only have the places you haven't been to long for. We know this because we've all had many new possessions, each of which we thought would finally be it. But when we got it, we realized it wasn't it, and so we keep longing for new possessions, and they don't satisfy. We know this because no matter how many new persons we add to our life, and then subtract from our life so we can add some other new persons to our life that might satisfy our longing, our longing isn't satisfied. We're the same miserable, empty people no matter how many persons we've known. We know it's not pleasure because after each new pleasure, now all we have is an old pleasure and a longing unsatisfied. You see, we're not longing for these things. We're longing for a relationship with the Father. That's what was lost. You see, the Father is home. And when we're where He is, walking in a relationship with Him, our longing is fulfilled. And so in this story, as we stand around and watch like those in Jesus' day as He told the story, in this story we learn our problem. We've all failed, and we're all at a distance from the Father by nature. That's who we are. That's how we are. That explains the problem. But in this story, as is always true of Jesus, he's honest about our problem. He tells the truth about us inside and out. But then he turns to the good news. And that's where Jesus is so different from the world. And you know this, too. In the world... When we're delivered bad news, you know, we click it, we go down the rabbit hole, and what do we find in the world? More bad news. And then, when we really start growing accustomed to the bad news of that season, we're surprised by what the world gives us next. More bad news. We keep thinking, isn't it weird we human beings, after every election we go, good news! Different president, different Congress, good news, and then we learn, no, it's not, it's just more bad news. My guy or gal won, good news, bad news. Yours won, bad news, no more bad, it's a bad news. But see, with God, it's not just more bad news. With God, it's here's the bad news. But I've got some good news for you. And don't you think it's about time we start processing the good news of God and throw away the bad news of the world? I think it is. That's what Jesus wants us to do here. And so in this story, yes, we find out our bad news, but we also find out God's good news. The Father's love and forgiveness is unlimited. The younger son didn't know that because the younger son said, I don't deserve to be his son. The best I could ever expect is maybe to be considered a servant and get some food in my dad's house. He didn't know the father's forgiveness was unlimited. 
God's love extended beyond his failure, but neither did the elder brother, because he thought the father's forgiveness should be limited to him, but not to his younger brother. That's why he was angry. And isn't where this where most of us are caught? We're either caught feeling like there's no way God could ever love and forgive me because I'm such a mess, or there's no way God should love and forgive someone else whom we despise. And either way, we're at a distance from the Father. We can do it in religion or outside of religion, in church and outside of church. The Father's love and forgiveness is unlimited. Our God is a prodigal father, extravagantly generous in his love and forgiveness, and it's always been this way. A lot of people say, well, that's not the God of the Old Testament, that's Jesus, but that's a different... No, it's not! Look at Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. This is who God has always been. It's we humans that have missed it. We who are elder sons and younger sons. Though we've all failed with extravagant recklessness because God is so extravagantly generous, there are some truths that can fill the emptiness of our human longings. Because God is so extravagantly generous, no matter how reckless we've been and how far away from Him we've been, we can come home. He wanted the younger son home, and He wanted the elder son to come in and be home, walking with him, experiencing him. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me, Jesus said, will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Because of God's extravagant generosity, you can come home. I don't know where you've been. I don't know how far you've been. I don't know how much darkness you're in, but I do know this. You can come home. That's what this story is about. No matter what the churchy people say, no matter what the religious people say, no matter what anyone says, you can come home, have you? Because God is so extravagantly generous, we can live in His presence. No matter how far we've been from Him, we can live in His presence. Matthew 28, 20 says it, and surely I'm with you always, Jesus says, to the very end of the age. And we can live in His presence with no shame and with no guilt. And you know why? It's because He sees you through the beauty of Jesus, not through the shadow of your own sin and failure. But you know what our problem is? We see ourselves through the shadows of our sin and failure. And so that's why we can't get over the bondage and the slavery and the misery of distance from the Father. But Jesus came to set us free. Why celebrate Palm Weekend and the Passion Week where Jesus, we remember, died on the cross and was buried and rose again? Why celebrate Easter, the hope of new life in God, if all we're going to do is keep seeing ourselves through the shadows of our sin and shame and guilt? There's no reason at all. We can live in His presence, Jesus teaches us in this story. Are you? Or are you still far away? Because God is so extravagantly generous, we can walk in His promises. 
This story is amazing to me because at the very beginning of the story, what does God do? What does the father do? He divides the inheritance. He gives them generously out of his wealth to them. That's what he does. He gives to them, and then they both blow it. And yet, what does he do at the end of the story? He invites them to still walk in his promises, to ex still experience his generosity. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've burnt God so many times, there's no way he'd ever want to fulfill his promise in my life. And yet, you know what he wants to do? He wants to fulfill his promise in my life, and he wants to fulfill his promise in yours. We can walk in his promises, in his blessings, with no fear and no doubt and no insecurity and no question. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. He has given us, and who are we? The failed elder sons and the failed younger sons. He has given us this very great and precious promises. We can come home. We can live in his presence. We can walk in his promises. Are you? This is the story. You're not if you're filled with anger and bitterness and emptiness, feeling like you've done so much and he's not rewarding you, he's rewarding others. You're like the people standing around accusing Jesus that he told this story to. Why do you want to be there when you can be home? So here's the truth that we have to understand from this story. Our relationship with God, no matter who we are, what we've done or haven't done, our relationship with God is based entirely on forgiveness. I talk to so many people about their relationship with God, and they go, oh yeah, I have a relationship with God because I'm religious. So were the people that killed Jesus. Or I don't have a relationship with God because I'm not religious. Religion's not the point. Irreligion's not the point. The Father's the point. Our relationship with God is based entirely on his forgiveness. Have you experienced it? Our relationship with God is based entirely on God's choice to provide his forgiveness like the father in the story. And how did he do it? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the story of the cross. There's the story of this week that's to come. God in his perfection took on flesh and lived in his perfection as he walked on this planet in human flesh and blood. And then he was nailed to a cross where all of the sin, our sin, was put on him so that God could forgive us and put a robe on us and kill the fattened calf for us and throw a party for us. God has chosen to provide forgiveness. And yet, so many of us, like the elder brother and the younger while he was with the pigs, so many of us are yet to experience it. We could sing about it. We can talk about it. We can celebrate it. We can claim we believe in it. And yet, we don't experience it. Why? Not because it hasn't been given, but because we haven't received it. Our relationship with God is based entirely on forgiveness, on God's choice to provide it, but then on our choice to receive it, and yet so many of us haven't. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. 
At the end of this story, the younger son did call on the father's name. I'm broken. I'm not worthy. I blew it. I love this picture that our artist drew for us for this particular parable because it really, man, it just captures it for me. Look where the younger son is, this one that messed up so profoundly. He's just leaning into the father. How can he do that? Oh, because God's willingness to forgive is unlimited. And all you have to do is receive it. And the younger did. He went from broken to healed, from a failure to forgiven, from living in the slop with pigs to being celebrated as the son. But as she also captured in her picture, the elder son didn't. Accusing the father of being wrong. I'm so tired of people like us who've been given so much by the father. Accusing him of being wrong. Messing up. Missing it. Though the elder was born to be a son, by his own choice he kept living as a slave, which is sadly so true of so many of us. So it highlights the remaining question, what will we do? Or maybe a more direct question, if you don't mind me getting personal, what have you done? Which one are you? The elder son in feeling justified in your anger because you've been so much better than all those lousy people that God's forgiven. <laughs> Isn't that what makes church a pitiful place to be at times? I've been in those churches. It can happen here where we think we deserve something from God and he hasn't given it to us and so we're angry at him and our worship is in anger and our giving is in anger and everything we do, we're feeling like the elder son, a slave bound by the father's lack of generosity. Are you kidding me? Do you know why most of the world doesn't want to come to places like this? Because they don't need more bad news in their life and more anger in their life and more bitterness in their life and more judgment in their life and more hostility in their life. They're looking for what only God can give them, unlimited grace and love and forgiveness. And isn't it about time we experience so we can share it? That's where we need to be. We need to become more like Him. So here's the application, really. More important than the answer you give, what have you done, is the answer you live. And so the application becomes obvious. If our relationship with God is genuine, we'll become forgiving. We won't stand outside angry that God is celebrating lost people being found. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The elder brother was opposite of this. He thought he was close. He thought he was someone. He thought he was deserving, but he wasn't. How about you? So I think the conclusion as we move towards the celebration of communion is really important. Our true heart is revealed by the way we respond to those who need forgiveness. What's your true heart look like these days? 
Our true heart is revealed by the way we respond to those who need our forgiveness. The Father forgives by nature. It reveals his heart. What about us? How do we forgive? What does it reveal about our heart? Jesus in Matthew 7, 17 and 20 says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. If it's good within, its fruit is good without. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. So by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Now, that's a vital issue for us because the unwillingness to forgive prevents us from experiencing everything we long for from God. His peace his freedom, his joy, his fulfillment. It keeps us at a distance from the Father instead of close. It keeps us miserable rather than enjoying the party with him. And so I think in celebrating communion, we have to understand the two causes for an unforgiving heart. Because let's be honest, we all have an unforgiving heart at times, right? The younger brother couldn't forgive his dad for false accusations he had of him, and so he ran. The older son couldn't forgive his dad, and so he hated him while he stayed. And what were the causes of an unforgiving heart? Well, <laughs> the first cause is a failure to experience God's forgiveness. If you never experience God's forgiveness, how in the world can you ever have a forgiving heart? You can't. Do you know why the world questions whether or not Christians have really experienced God's forgiveness? They question it because Christians so seldom are willing to forgive like God. How about you? Have you experienced God's forgiveness? Now, just before... I give you the second cause of an unforgiving heart, and just before that leads us right into communion, I think this is an important moment for some of you just to receive his forgiveness. You know you need it. You've been slopping around with the pigs, you're starving, you're longing, your failures and brokenness are obvious. You know you need it. So isn't this your moment? Yes, it is, to receive his grace. And all you have to do is ask him for it. The younger son didn't deserve anything. And what did he do? He just got up and said, I, I don't deserve anything. I've blown it, but I need you. And what did the father do? Argue with him? No, he got the robe and he got the party. So in this moment, why don't you receive his mercy and grace? Just wherever you are, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? And as we bow, I just want to ask you to take my words in this prayer and make them yours to God. Just say, Jesus, you know I'm broken. You know I'm a mess. You know I've failed. Like the younger son, I've sinned against you. But I believe that you died on that cross to forgive my sin and rose again to give me new life. So by faith... I'm confessing my sin and asking you to forgive me. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed with me, we'd love to know, and we'd love to get you a New Testament Bible and some thoughts on how you can take next steps in your relationship with God. We just have to know. So as you can see on the screen, just send us a text. The name of our church is the message to that number. And we'll send you a link 
fill out that link so that we know how to get that stuff to you, send it back to us, and we'll get that to you. But there's a second cause for an unforgiving heart. Isn't it interesting how it's not just people who haven't experienced God's grace that are so unforgiving? And I know this because I know I've received God's grace, but there are times I'm pretty unforgiving. How do I get there? What's the cause? It's simple. There's a failure to remember God's forgiveness. Failure to remember. I'm telling you, when I was in the place of the younger son, broken and flawed and messed up and needing the father like no one's business, when I came to him and he forgave me, I was just filled with gratitude. My whole life was transformed. But over time, you know, I've been faithfully following Jesus and I've been faithfully trying to live his word and I've been faithfully trying to obey his call and I've been coming to church and I've been doing right while all of you guys have been out there having fun. You come to church once in a while when it fits your needs and I have to be here giving a talk to empty chairs because you're not here. And I start feeling like I've given and given and given and given and given and God hasn't ever let me find the lamp with my three wishes. Where's my gold star? Why are you blessing them and not blessing me? And you know, by nature, when I was younger, I was more like the younger brother. But over time, I've become a lot like the elder brother, where I feel like God owes me. But you know, there's a problem with that. God doesn't owe me anything. I owe God. And when I remember that my relationship with him is based entirely on forgiveness, not on anything I've done. I remain soft-hearted and forgiving, but when I forget, I become judgmental and harsh. And Christianity has become a judgmental and harsh place for many places and many people. We need to remember God's forgiveness, which leads us to communion. You know why Jesus gave us bread as a symbol of his body and juice as a symbol of his blood? He told us why. So we could remember. Oh yeah, without your body and blood, I'm eating with the pigs. I'm distant from you. I can't experience your life in fullness. And when we eat the bread and remember that he came when we drink the juice and remember that he shed his blood for our forgiveness, our heart can become soft again and we can remember. And so I just want to tell you, for those of you who have yet to receive his grace ever, this is for those who have received his grace. There's a reason you eat the bread and don't just look at it and you drink the cup and it's so that you can remember that one day, you actually internalized the grace and forgiveness of God into your life, what he did with his body and blood so that you could be forgiven. And you remember and you go, oh, yeah. But if you've never done that, then, hey, it's a, we love it that you're here, but it's not for you, so just let it go by you. But if you have received his grace, it's time you remember. And this is why we do it. So in a moment, we're going to lead you in worship. I hope that you'll engage the words, that you'll take the journey of remembering with us. And then 
I'll come back and we'll celebrate communion together because once we remember his forgiveness, we never stand in judgment of others. We stand celebrating when anyone who was lost is found because that's what happened to us. So before we move forward, let's do what Jesus did in front of the elements on that very first time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the bread and for the juice, not because eating and drinking them does anything for us, but because eating and drinking them helps us to remember. Wake us up, help us to remember so that we can continue to be home with you, walking in relationship, experiencing your presence and promises. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.
I am the stone that the builder refused, the rock that gave water, the cast God used. I am the bound spirit set free, the branch someone once called the halfway tree, a vessel, that's me. It's true, I don't look like what I've been through, and if I am honest, neither do you. I just inclined my ear when the Lord said, search me. And I learned the only fruit sweeter than justice is mercy. Well, what is mercy? It's empathy, leniency, and grace. It's the mother's hand to the chin that lifts the sullen face. And lifts the sullen face, and there's vision. And vision came provision, and provision holds my space. None of this is by my doing, because I see in straight lines. But the master architect I serve has built a grand design. If my role in that design is just to be a stroke of paint, it means God used me to put color where it ain't. can be seated. I'm so glad that my freedom isn't based upon what I've done because if it was, I'd be enslaved and imprisoned by my failure, wouldn't you? But instead, our freedom was purchased by God's goodness and God's mercy and the power of Jesus' blood, which is what we remember in communion. When we remember this, we go from being ungrateful to grateful. When we remember this, we go from being angry to joyful. When we remember this, we go from being unforgiving to forgiving because we become more like our Father. And so, we take the bread as Jesus did and we break it. I'm sure it was just like this in Jesus' day. He had to tear the plastic off of that manufactured thing. And they had to eat synthetic styrofoam in the name of Jesus. But it doesn't change the reality. And by the way, is it okay to have fun in church? Is it okay? You see, the elder brother couldn't have fun but we can in the grace of Jesus Christ, right? In the grace of Jesus Christ. So, because of what Jesus did with his body, we can know the joy of being in the Father's presence, and so we eat this in remembrance of him. And then Jesus took the cup. And he said, this juice is the symbol through which you can remember my blood that was shed for your forgiveness. Remember how it's removed your guilt. Remember how it's 
removed your unrighteousness. Remember how it's removed your shame. You're no longer eating the slop with the pigs. You're no longer eating in the servants' quarters. You're now wearing my robe and my ring, enjoying my presence because my blood was shed for you. So we drink this in remembrance of him. And now, dear Jesus, as we remember what you've done, may we become the people walking hand in hand with you in this world, shining your light in a world of darkness, not hating those lost in darkness, but loving them and seeking to wake them up to you and your grace. May we be a place where forgiveness is celebrated, experienced, and happening all the time in us and others, and we'll thank you for it, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I want you to know I am so grateful that you were here this weekend, and I really hope that you're planning on being here next weekend for Easter. In fact, I'm really hoping that you're planning on being here next week for Easter with a ton of people you've invited. So I hope that you'll be inviting, 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 okay? And know this. We have nine services for you to choose from. We have five here in Plymouth, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. We have two Sunday morning in each of our regional campuses. Lots of seats available. Be inviting people in. If you need help inviting, we have a digital invitation you can get. You can see how to get that on the screens. You can get a physical invitation or as many as you want in the foyer with our guest services. Be inviting people. Next week's going to be great. And if you want a special treat on Thursday night, I do a thing called Thursday Live. Yes, I am a treat, but that's not what it's talking about right now. I'm going to be interviewing the artist who has been putting together our parable sketches, and her name's Jacqueline. I can't wait for you to meet her and for us to experience her. Join me Thursday Live for that, and let's pray that God does a great thing this week, all right? Let's go out and live as forgiven ones. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.